speak right to us, right into our hearts, and uh, just bless and anoint the words of his mouth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, David. Hello. You all all right? Excellent news. Right. We are starting a new sermon series this evening uh, called Anointed, looking at passages from Isaiah. Now, I suggest you get out your Bible. Um, hopefully, there might be one in front of you. and Because uh, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. Now, Isaiah isn't... I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it? Isaiah's brilliant. But it's, it's not the clearest, easiest book in the Bible. And so, hopefully, if you kind of have it out in front of you... Um, if you're reading it through with me and as I talk about it, then you'll be able to think, oh, okay, I understand that. Okay, Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of... Sorry, Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. I said that, didn't I? It's been a long day. All right. Is Isaiah... Is Isaiah I'll read another bit if you're mentioning it. Right. Isaiah 11, 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse... From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's crystal clear, isn't it? I don't think I need to say anything about that, really. It's just, you know, very, very obvious what that's talking about. So, the first in a series called Anointed, which is looking at prophecies concerning the Holy Spirit, which are found in Isaiah, but we see fulfilled in Jesus, but also which apply to us who are anointed of the Spirit. So for that reason, there's three parts to this. Isaiah, Jesus, us. Now I find something quite reassuring about three-part sermons. So at least you know where we're going. Isaiah, Jesus, us. So if you don't remember anything else, you can just be like, Isaiah, that's got something to do with Jesus. Might have something to do with us. I don't know, try and be a good Christian. So anyway, we'll see where we go. So Isaiah, beginning in Isaiah. Isaiah. In the passage that we've just heard, Isaiah the prophet sees a vision. So he has this revelation. And uh, and in this vision, he sees the cutting down of Jesse's tree. Now, Jesse is the father of David. So when you read Jesse's tree, you're thinking, oh, okay, that symbolizes David. It symbolizes kings of Israel. It's probably referring to the Messiah. And that's exactly what's going on. So he sees in a vision the cutting down of Jesse's tree, symbolizing the fall of David's dynasty. So that all seems very depressing. But Isaiah sees beyond that. So he can also see in his vision, beyond the cutting down of Jesse's tree, that there's a new shoot growing out from the cut down tree, from the stump of Jesse. And this new shoot symbolized that although David's dynasty was at an end, 
Nonetheless, out of this, out of this family line, the long hoped for Messiah would come. See with us so far? Okay. So Isaiah could see that the new shoot would succeed where the Davidic kings had failed. So if you look at that passage, it all sounded amazing, didn't it? And so basically, this promised Messiah's rule would be marked by righteousness, justice, faithfulness. Those things were all mentioned in the passage. This king would be a good king who would show compassion for the weak and would also stand against oppression and injustice. Now, commentators, when they look at biblical prophecy, often try and kind of see a context that would give rise to such prophecy. And uh, so commentators have suggested a couple of events in the life of Israel that might have kind of created a background for Isaiah's vision and the recording of that vision. So a couple of such examples, the deliverance of Jerusalem and Judah in 701 from the Assyrian army, you'll remember that, and perhaps the return of the Jews to Jerusalem after their exile in Babylon, which obviously you know, was a huge deal. So even though these are kind of big events in the background that could have given rise to uh, what is seen, what is recorded, what is celebrated here, clearly these things that we're reading in that passage go way beyond any historic event, either in the life of Israel or indeed anything that we've seen since. So the impact of this Messiah is, is in fact, it, it goes beyond Israel to the whole world. Isaiah's vision of peace embraces the whole of creation and so clearly points us into the future. We see in these verses a picture of restored creation with nature again experiencing the harmony it had before the impact of sin. You know, animals that normally eat each other are all hanging out and being friends. And so this is basically a picture of paradise regained. So in verse 9 it says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so we look forward to that amazing day, when it be just a huge relief, <laughs> where God's glory just fills everything and we all submit to God's rule and it's just brilliant all the time. So as I said, this series is entitled Messiah. Uh, no, it's not. This series is entitled Anointed. And so what we see in this passage is that this Messiah is indeed anointed. He's anointed and equipped by the Spirit. So it says in verse 2 that he's anointed by the Spirit of the Lord who rests on him. And then it goes on to say the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Mention of counsel and might might remind you of an earlier passage, a prophetic passage in Isaiah 9, where it talks about, for to us a child is born. Do you remember that? We, talk, we, we have that one read out at Christmas. And it talks about this, uh, this figure who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. So you see that counsel and might, the spirit of counsel and of might. So you kind of see that the, the, these two passages are perhaps referring to the same person. Although interestingly, um, Isaiah 9 is speaking about, about a person who's God. I mean, he's mighty God. Whereas this passage is speaking about a Messiah figure who seems to be dependent on God. And so that feels like a bit of a contradiction, which requires the incarnation to explain it, doesn't it? So that's why Jesus, amazing, he is God and fully man. And so he's able to kind of bridge these two passages and show one who, who is God, but who is dependent on God at the same time. And so we see this anointing, an anointing that gives wisdom, an anointing that gives understanding, but also an anointing that gives the necessary power to effect that wisdom and understanding, to put it into practice. And it could be that this description of the Spirit of the Lord, followed by these three pairs of qualities, again, if you've got your Bible in front of you, you know, I've just referred to them, uh, wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord, 
that they add up to a symbolic seven. Seven is the number of perfection. And so it's saying that this Messiah figure, uh, if you like, will be perfectly endowed with the Spirit. They will just have everything that they need to do what they are called to do. So the question is, who is this person? Who is this Messiah figure? And you, you all know the answer, don't you? Who is it? Put up your, put up your hands. I'm going to pick someone. I'm going to pick someone. David, what's the answer? Sorry? Jesus. No, it's not James. It's Jesus. <laughs> no, he did say Jesus. It's Jesus, isn't it? The answer is always Jesus. In fact, even when the answer isn't Jesus, it is Jesus, really. Underneath it all, it's still, it's still Jesus. So the answer is Jesus. So we move on to the second part. See? Isaiah, Jesus, us is coming next. Jesus, the answer is Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is indeed the promised descendant of David. And actually, the reduction of the Davidic dynasty to a stump is an appropriate metaphor because when the time when Jesus was born, even though it was still in existence, that dynasty had been without royal power for nearly 600 years. Nonetheless, a godly remnant had ensured that the nation had endured and that the Messiah Jesus could be born. And Jesus is spoken of in the New Testament as a descendant of David. So in Romans 1 verse 3, it says, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And then this message, this language of a root from Isaiah is picked up in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. So it says in Revelation 5.5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So Jesus is that descendant. He's also this one, again anointed, who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, we see that um, Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Messiah who establishes the kingdom of God on earth. You remember uh, Jesus' baptism where the Holy Spirit falls on him like a dove. So you see this anointing of the Spirit. And Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come. In Luke 4, Jesus also quotes Isaiah, a different bit of Isaiah. And basically, again, he's saying, you know, he's basically saying, this Messiah figure, it's me. I'm, I'm that person. And then in Revelation, again, we see that he is the one who is perfectly endowed with this sevenfold spirit of God. So in Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. It's Jesus, isn't it? The answer is Jesus. So Jesus is the spirit-anointed Messiah, who Isaiah was prophesying about. Nonetheless, despite the fact that Jesus is the spirit-anointed Messiah who establishes the kingdom of God on earth, after 2,700-ish years, Isaiah's vision has only been partially fulfilled. And with the benefit of hindsight, I mean, you just, just imagine reading Isaiah's you know, I mean, well, Philip, you know, with the Ethiopian eunuch on the road, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the Isaiah and he's like, what on earth is this all about? Can someone explain it to me? It is just hard to comprehend, but at least we have the benefit of hindsight, don't we? And we can, we can look back and we can see Jesus. But also we can see, you know, again, with hindsight, we know that Jesus' first coming, it established something, it set into motion something. But we know, don't we, that, that Jesus ascended into heaven, has poured out his spirit, but he's coming back. And so we await the second coming of Jesus. So he did, in his first appearance, put into effect the fulfillment of Isaiah's vision. 
but we await the full realisation of Isaiah's vision, animals hanging out and being mates. We still await that vision being fulfilled as we anticipate the second coming of Jesus, so his return. So we wait. But while we wait, are we meant to be doing anything? Is there anything that we have to do while we wait? And that's why we come to us. What about us? Well, although Jesus was the spirit-anointed Messiah Isaiah prophesied about, we read in the gospel accounts that the anointing of the spirit was not exclusive to him because actually Jesus invited his disciples to share with him in the proclamation and advancement of his messianic ministry. Not only that, but Jesus also commissioned them and others who'd follow in their footsteps to share in this anointed ministry once he'd returned to his father in heaven. So disciples of Jesus then and now are to be anointed by the Spirit. What about us then? Do we live with an awareness of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives? You might say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so obviously have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you need to have the Holy Spirit to be a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you to confess Jesus as Lord. And we have the first fruits of the Spirit, that deposit, that down payment, that guarantee that when we die, we go to heaven and the Holy Spirit uh, is with us. But actually, it's important to recognize that there are different things, as it were, that the Holy Spirit facilitates in our lives. And actually, conversion is just the start, isn't it? It's just the start. So Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about the need to be born again. He says in John chapter 3 that you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So we need to be born again. We need to receive the Holy Spirit. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, then tonight, why don't you do it? Because that's just the best thing that you could possibly do. And if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to go to heaven when you die, and if more than that, you want to see a bit of heaven in the meantime before you get there, then you need to invite Jesus into your heart. That's the only way that you can know reconciliation with God, forgiveness of sins, that you can be adopted into God's family and become his child. And so tonight... Why not? Or if you're watching online, why not? Tonight, place your faith in Jesus, surrender to him, and be born again. But that's just the beginning. Scripture also shows us that we need to be clothed with power. So in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Why? Well, he says in Acts 1, verse 8, why? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So he wants his disciples, his people, to witness to his kingdom, to witness to the fact that he's the Messiah, he's the one that Isaiah was banging on about, to witness to this kingdom that's advancing, which again, as that passage from Isaiah said, is synonymous with righteousness, with justice, with faithfulness. It's a good kingdom, and people need to hear about it. And so we need to be anointed so that we can witness to it. And actually, when Jesus uh, left these instructions for his disciples before he ascended into heaven, we see that the Ascension Pentecost was was essentially a a succession narrative. Jesus' disciples would have remembered uh, the story in the Old Testament about Elijah and Elisha, how Elijah was this signs and wonders prophet. But he he went up into heaven, didn't he? And so when we read about Jesus going up into heaven... We remember that he's not the first person that's done that because we read about how Elijah was caught up and went up into heaven. And and what was happening was when he went up into heaven, his disciple, 
um, Elisha was watching on. He prayed for a double portion, a double of the spirit of, El- of Elijah. And, uh, and actually, when, when Elisha then kind of like went about you know, ministry after Elijah had gone, he knew that he was carrying on what Elijah had done. He knew that he had accepted that mantle to be a signs and wonders prophet. And basically, for the disciples who saw Jesus go up into heaven, with that in, as a backdrop, with that as, they knew what was expected of them. They knew that this meant that just like Elisha was like, what I'm going to do is going to look like what he did. The disciples seeing Jesus go, I was like, hang on a minute. This is like a passing on of the baton moment. I'm going to end up doing what you did. Which meant that the disciples knew that the very things that Jesus did, they were going to end up doing. Jesus said, didn't he, greater works will you do because I go to be my father. And he poured out the spirit, this anointing, so that they could not just like try and be decent people, but actually so that they could proclaim the gospel in power. They could proclaim a message given in mercy that is confirmed with miracles. And that's what we need to be doing too. And it's important to recognize that to be born again and to be clothed with power are different things. These can be separate baptisms, i.e. receiving the Holy Spirit as regeneration, being born again, and receiving the Holy Spirit as empowerment. Now, in terms of Christian experience, these things can happen at the same time, but they don't necessarily happen at the same time. That's the point. They can do, but they don't necessarily do. And actually, we see uh, in the New Testament some intriguing examples of when they happen at different times. Now, Jesus um, was born of the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus already had the Holy Spirit, didn't he, when he was born? So his humanity was already regenerated by the Holy Spirit because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yet, we read, don't we, in Mark 1 and throughout the, in the other gospel accounts, that the Holy Spirit comes on him at his baptism. Why was that if he already had the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit came on him so he could fill this messianic ministry. In other words, it was an empowerment to do the very things that Isaiah talks about, and, you know, to do the things that we saw him do in the gospel accounts. But not only him, the disciples. In John 20, verse 22, we read in the upper room that Jesus, in a resurrection appearance, he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But he also told them to wait, because 50 days later, what happened? The Holy Spirit came on them. But why, if he'd already breathed on them and they'd had the Holy Spirit? Well, what does the breathing remind you of? Genesis, well done, well done. So Genesis, God breathes into Adam, doesn't it? It's, it's creation. And so Jesus is breathing new creation. It's regeneration. It's the born-again experience. You know, I can't say this. You can't sort of categorically say this. I'm sure there are lots of learned people out there that are saying, no, no, you're wrong, Mark. Shut up, quick. But I think this, they're basically born again in this moment. That's what I think, personally. So Jesus had told them, hadn't he? We read about this in, in, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16. He's talking to them as he's preparing them for his, for his death and his going. He says, the Holy Spirit has been with you, but he will be in you. And now they're born again. But that's not enough because they need to be empowered for ministry. So again, there's a 50-day gap and the Holy Spirit comes on them with power, anointing, to do the things that he's calling them to do. I'll give you one more example. Christians in Samaria, in Acts 8, we read about how Philip preaches, people repent, they believe in Jesus, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. This isn't like John's baptism. This is a, you know, this is a Christian baptism. They're basically Christian. 
But it says that the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. What's that all about? But again, it's because when the apostles went to see them, that there weren't the visible demonstrations, manifestations of an, an anointing for empowerment for ministry that meant that they were able to say, well, yeah, that's definitely happened. But even beyond that, even beyond regeneration and empowerment, Paul tells us that we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So actually, uh, we read in Ephesians 5.18 where it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And as you've heard a million people say a million times, in the Greek, it's present continuous tense, which means that we're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So actually, it's not enough that we think like, well, I became a Christian and that's kind of it. It's just the beginning. We need to be clothed with power to do the things that God calls us to do. But we also need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? In order to kind of bear good Christian fruit. You know, God wants to transform us, sanctify us by the work of his spirit. So we become more and more like Jesus. So we can live godly lives. So also we can, you know, those manifestations of the spirit that mean that we can move in the gifts of the spirit. And so we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah, Jesus, us. Isaiah has this wonderful vision, this wonderful vision of this coming Messiah. Jesus is the spirit-anointed Messiah who establishes the kingdom of God on earth. But Jesus calls his disciples then and now to proclaim the good news of his present and coming kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, you know, in terms of my own experience, I actually was aware of the Holy Spirit in my life growing up in different times and uh, different things that happened where God spoke to me. Um, but but I, I remember becoming a Christian um, uh, in the summer of my first year at university and, and giving my life to Jesus and praying a prayer of commitment. And, and I remember um, receiving the Holy Spirit. And, and I, there was some awareness of that. I was aware of the sort of euphoric sense that, that the Holy Spirit was confirming that that I, that, that I belonged to him, that I'd prayed a prayer, giving my life to Jesus. And it wasn't very dramatic, but there was, you know, I had an awareness that something important, significant had transpired, that God had heard my prayer, and I, and I belonged to him. Now, I think when you give your life to Jesus, nothing particularly has to be visible at all. You just, you, you know, the scripture just says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. It's as simple as that. So it doesn't have to be particularly anything. You know, you just know in your heart that you've done that and you belong to him. Fantastic. And you can have assurance that if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've confessed your sins, you've invited him into your heart, that you belong to him. And that's brilliant. But actually, it was only about 10 months later um, that I remember being prayed for and having something akin to what I would call then a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that was power for ministry. And I remember in that instance, you know, just became um, the Holy Spirit coming on me and this power coming to me and falling over and having visions, and just seeing, you know, Jesus, and um, just this incredible kind of manifestation of the Spirit of God. And, and again, for me, it wasn't, um, and I look back on it, there was nothing kind of sensational about that in the sense it wasn't hype or anything like that. Because I look at the last 21 years since, since then, since I became a Christian, and how, how, how necessary that was, <laughs> and how formative that was for me. Uh, as I've sought to kind of follow God and, and do the things that God's called me to do. I needed the anointing of the Spirit. But again, since then, just being continually filled with the Spirit, it didn't end there. I didn't sign and say, like, oh, that's happened now. You know, I, I've continued to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me because I know that I need the Holy Spirit continually. 
And so it's the same for each one of us, isn't it? We need to be asking the Holy Spirit to come and filling us with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's um, a famous clever person called Blaise Pascal. And uh, Blaise Pascal was considered by Albert Einstein, no less, to be the greatest intellect of the last thousand years, which is praise indeed. And uh, Blaise Pascal's contributions to mathematics, philosophy, and science were unparalleled, but also his greatest contributions were in the field of religious thought. Now, Blaise Pascal's is very clever bod, you know, uh, obviously very bright and able to reason things and, and, and you know, etc. But there's this, again, if you read about it or Google it, he had, Blaise Pascal had this, what's been called this night of fire, where he basically waited on the Lord and he had a two-hour long vision. So this very clever person, um, you know, who writes all these clever things, nonetheless, he was open to and needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So he had this two-hour long vision and then he wrote in his journal afterwards and he wrote this, fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and scholars, absolute certainty beyond reason, joy, peace, forgetfulness of the world and everything, but God, the world has not known thee, I have known thee, joy, 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 tears of joy. Sounds like a good quiet time, doesn't it? It's a pretty, pretty, decent, pretty decent quiet time. And so we see here that Blaise Pascal, who is this great intellect, we see the impact that, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that transformative impact that the anointing of the Holy Spirit has on us. And so I share that, um, not only because, you know, it's it's a great kind of example, but also we're going to pray in just a moment uh, and we're going to wait on the Lord. And I'm glad it's it's, it's early because we can just actually properly spend time waiting on God, can't we, and see what happens. But what I would say is, because kind of an add-on, I am expecting that God is going to do cool things this evening and that if we're open to him, he's going to come in power. But also the example of Blaise Pascal, that happened to him when he was at home in a chair waiting on the Lord. And I think the thing is that, you know, it's not just about having a a service where God does something great, but actually it's, it's when our whole lives, when we're gathered together, but also when we're on our own, when we are pursuing this anointing, that actually we make time in our lives to just wait on the Lord. And sometimes that might be, you know, very dramatic. Sometimes it might be very undramatic. I've had many, many hours of waiting on the Lord where seemingly nothing has happened, but I've still had an awareness that God has been present. It hasn't been sort of wasted time. There's been an awareness that God is here. And sometimes God creeps up on us and does something, you know, that seems, you know, quite fun like that. But actually a lot of the, of lo- a lot of the time it's just, again, becoming aware of, of God with us. But we need that anointing. And so we need to pursue that anointing. When we're together, but also when we're apart, we need that anointing that we can do the things God has called us to do, an anointing so that we can join with him. Unlike with Elijah passing on the baton, Jesus has sort of passed on the baton, because, but he's not really, because it's still his. It's still, he is still the Messiah, and it's still his messianic ministry. It's not our ministry, it's his ministry. So he kind of shares the baton with us. But the point is that while he's up there, we're down here, and so we are his body and so we need to go out into the world, don't we, to, to, to advance and extend his kingdom. And so he is with us to the very end of the age. And he, he anoints us with his spirit so we can do that. So you up for praying for that anointing? Should we do that? Maybe. Well, stand anyway, whether you're, up, whether you're up for it or not. Let's stand, let's do it.
I know it can seem quite formulaic and contrived when we do the same thing all the time. And um, again, trying to teach a mother to suck eggs. When you close your eyes and put your hands out, there's nothing special about that other than the fact that it just helps us to concentrate. When you're closing your eyes, you're not just looking at other people. But also, again, you know, it's, it's a stance that basically says, I am open. When you've got your hands in your pocket or you've got your arms crossed, that's not bad, but, but it does mean that you know, there is a kind of an inherent kind of lack of openness to kind of, you know what, God, whatever you want, let's just do it. And so I just encourage you, I'm not going to look at you, so don't feel judged if you don't, but just to, to have a posture that basically says, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing next. I'm not kind of thinking, well, this service is going to end soon and I'm going to do this, that and the other. But actually, you know, we are here now and this can be significant time of just waiting on him. So adopt that posture that enables you to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, we honour you. Father, we just thank you that for, for Isaiah's vision. We thank you for that amazing vision. And Lord, we, we await and long for your return, for new creation, for the fulfilment of all of your promises, that spectacular vision that Isaiah had. And Jesus, we thank you that you've put that into effect by your coming. We thank you, Lord, that you, you have fulfilled the promises of God's word. But Lord, even as we await the full realization of that, we know that you call us, your people, to be anointed by your spirit. And so, Father, we ask through Jesus now for the good gift of the Holy Spirit. And we honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you with our time. We honor you with waiting. And we honor you by saying that, Lord, we are open. Whatever that looks like, whatever it doesn't look like, please come, Lord. Glorify your name. And fill us, we pray. Let's just wait. Come, Holy Spirit.